Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Jimmy. And we're the Talk to the Hand podcast. Jimmy. Hi Beth. You're still not feeling good, are you? Well, mm. given that we finished the previous episode five minutes ago, then I would say no. Um, mm. We're recording this one a week in advance because we are away next weekend, but we didn't want to leave a week without an episode, so we're doing that one now. So apologies, you're going to have to listen to my husky tones for another episode. <laughs> this week, as we told you at the end of the last episode, we're covering the group five. So this will be a good episode, I think, Beth. I think it will be. Should we get straight into it? We will. Let's rewind to the 90s. In 1997, an announcement appeared in the UK performing arts publication The Stage, seeking young male singers and dancers to try out for a boy band style ensemble characterised by attitude and edge. Bob and Chris Herbert, the masterminds behind the creation of the Spice Girls, believed the moment was ripe for the emergence of a male group. Chris Herbert, who went on to be the group's manager later on, said the idea behind Five was boys and we're going to bring you a bunch of flowers and Five were going to <laughs> F you, F you against yeah. the wall down the side alley. <laughs> Girls love a bad boy and boys could relate to it. Musically, it was going to be harder and tougher. <laughs> It sounds so contrived. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Uh, staggering 3,000 aspiring individuals, including Russell Brand. He does deny it, <laughs> but he was there. So he did a rendition of Extremes More Than Words. Eventually, the pool was narrowed down to a select group of only 14 finalists, which of them was narrowed down to five. Richard Neville Dobson was born in Birmingham to Kim and Peter Dobson. His parents divorced when he was two, but he found a good father figure later in his life with stepdad Derek. His parents both had singing backgrounds, and one of his uncles was a member of the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Engaging with music from an early age, he joined the church choir at the age of four, and often engaged in singing and acting activities with his friends. We were climbing trees. Despite financial challenges, his mother, who managed a pub, made sacrifices to enrol Rich in the exclusive private school, Bromsgrove. This investment in his education led to the development of his refined manners and sense of style, earning him the playful nickname, Posh. Additionally, Rich became a member of the Army Cadets during his formative years. Now, early on, his dyslexia was identified and he learned techniques to overcome it, transforming himself into a proficient student. At the age of 16, he secured a spot in the National Youth Theatre, where he landed the lead role in Romeo and Juliet, a performance he still references to this day. Transitioning into a, a, a grunge phase during his teenage years, which resonated with bands like Pearl Jam. He even ventured into the music scene, singing with a local group named Anal Beard. <laughs> and he adopted the, the oversized baggy clothes and the hairstyle that was sort of characteristic in that era. He's definitely having a rebel from the private education. Yeah, he, he, he is. <laughs> Eventually, the allure of the stage drew him to London, where a life-changing and entirely unexpected audition awaited him, a chance to join a pop band with a difference. He said, I came across the advert for five auditions in a newspaper. It was a photo of the actor Paul Nichols' head and Peter Andre's body, and the headline was, Do you want to be a Spice Boy? My instant reaction was, Oh, give me a break. Then the cogs started turning, and I applied, and at the audition he sang George Michael's Freedom. Scott James Tim Robinson was born in Basildon, Essex, situated just east of London. His journey into the world of music began around the age of five when he started singing alongside his two sisters. From a young age, Scott displayed a passion for acting and enjoyed being the class clown, participating in every play that came his way. 
His distinctive long parted in the middle hair earned him the playful nickname Curtains. A few of us had that mm, hairstyle in the 90s. That was the look, wasn't it, to be fair? And I can see him as the class clown. Yes. Definitely. Cheeky. He always yeah. came across as he a nice might, guy yeah. to me, even now when, yeah. when you hear him talk. I, I, think, I do quite like him, so. to be honest. Yeah. Despite his enthusiasm performing, Scott faced challenges in school, struggling with grades before later discovering he had a severe case of dyslexia as well. This revelation not only made reading nearly impossible, but also impacted his confidence, contributing to a bit of a rebellious streak. Associating with the tougher crowd, Scott's fortunes changed when his performing talents earned him a spot at the renowned Sylvia Young Stage School at the age of 11. Auditioning successfully, he landed various roles in TV and commercials, including the lead role in the National Youth Theatre production of Whistle Down the Wind. Despite his bold exterior, Scott developed a fondness for the emotive ballad pop music of his time. Scott almost missed the audition due to illness. He did attend, though, and his memory of the days turning up wearing a grey Kappa tracksuit and white Reebok classics. Again, of the time, isn't it? Jason Paul Brown entered the world on June the 13th, 1976 at Aldershot Military Hospital, becoming the youngest member of the Brown family with parents Justin and Marilyn and older sister Donna. Born to a military father, Justin, the family led a nomadic lifestyle, relocating 13 times before settling in Warrington near Manchester during Jason's high school years. Raised in an environment where expressing one's thoughts was encouraged, Jay quickly became known for his spirited and mischievous nature, creating chaos from early childhood. Despite frequent reprimands, punishment only seemed to fuel his rebellious spirit, whether decorating his room with crayons or turning moments of scolding into opportunities for defiance. At the age of 16, unemployed and with his parents moving to London, Jay found himself living with his sister Donna and her son Kyle in Warrington. Taking on the role of caregiver for his nephew, Jay, who had been passionate about music since childhood, decided to pursue a career in the industry. So despite a disdain for boy bands like E17 and Take That, his journey led him to a group called Prophets of Da Funk, which unfortunately didn't gain traction. Undeterred, he continued sending out demos, determined to break into the music scene. Simultaneously, he immersed himself in bodybuilding, transforming his physique to 210 pounds of muscle. At 20, facing unemployment and contemplating suicide, a lifeline appeared in the form of an ad in the stage, announcing auditions for a new boy band. And despite his initial aversion to boy bands, Jay decided to give it a shot. His audition described as crude, rude, lewd, but earned him a spot in the group. The rest of the group all remembered Jay from the auditions because everyone was standing around in a semicircle and Jay was in the middle doing his breakdancing and head spins. So it's a perfect thing for what they were looking for. They weren't looking for another take that of boys and they needed that group with the edge. So Sean Conlon was born in Leeds, West Yorkshire of Irish and Trinidad descent and has four siblings. He grew up in Horsforth and attended St Mary's Roman Catholic Primary School and St Mary's Catholic High School in Mensden. As a child, his interest lay in becoming a record producer of soul music or playing rugby. He had his very first recording session aged 11 and at the age of 13 performed for Harvey Goldsmith, Richard Skinner and Phil Collins after winning Yamaha's Young Composer competition. Wow. Fair play. Sean was the youngest member of five at 15, officially too young for the auditions. Throughout his pop career, he received schooling from a home tutor. That must have been fun while everyone else was out getting drunk and yeah. having fun. He was doing maths. Born into the heart of a challenging working-class neighbourhood of Hackney in London, Richard Aberdeen Green came from a diverse background with a Turkish father and an Irish mother. Facing the absence of his musician and mechanic father from an early age, 
Abs, as he would later be known, was raised by his mother, Kay. To secure the best education possible, Kay enrolled him in the Catholic school in their area. Displaying artistic inclinations from an early age, Abs engaged in singing, imitation and imaginative play. His mother fueled his creative spirit by crafting elaborate costumes with particular fondness for Abs impersonating Michael Jackson. At the age of eight, Abs performed a small band with his cousin. Abs gained acceptance into the prestigious Italia Conte Stage School, where he commenced auditioning for roles in London at the age of 15. During this period, he reconnected with his father, who lived nearby. He began assisting in his father's automotive garage, simultaneously learning the Turkish language. With spare time on his hands, Abs emerged himself in the underground sounds of London, honing his skills in DJing and rapping. Despite having taken ballet lessons, expressing a natural grace, Abs' multifaceted talents positioned him perfectly for the boy band Five. In joining the group at the age of 17, Abs had the challenge of sharing the same first name as another member, which of course was Richard Neville. To distinguish the two, it was decided that Richard Breen would adopt the nickname Abs, which derived from a shortened version of his middle name. Thus, Abs embarked on his journey with Five. The group were formed, and despite initially intended to be a four-piece, they couldn't decide on the last person to cut, so ended up keeping all five. Simon Cowell was at the audition, and he said, You're the band. I'm signing you to RCA Records on a five-album deal. This is happening very soon. The members of five were relocated into a single residence in the outskirts of London, where their primary objectives were to forge bonds and rehearse. Over the course of several months, they worked on a fusion of pop melodies infused with a rocking rap edge, complemented by dynamic dance routines. Simultaneously, their presence in the tranquil suburban setting earned them a reputation as the neighbours from hell, and they inadvertently caused a stir in their middle-class surroundings. Yeah, like, would they not have thought of that? Well, they were out of the house. If you've got a group of five lads from the age of 15 <laughs> to 20 in a house on their own, possibly away from home for the yeah. first time, for some of them yeah. at least, mm. they, yeah, that, that's going to be wild. In the pursuit of their musical ambitions, the members of Five proved to be typical young men, embodying the characteristics of messiness, boisterousness and unconventional schedules that resonate with youth everywhere. For many of them, this marked their first experience living independently, and the learning curve was steep. The youngest among them, Sean, was a mere 15 years old, while the eldest, Jay, was only 20 at the time. Scott later revealed, when we got into that band, even when money was coming in, we were given £100 a week to live on. I had a couple of jobs as a pot collector at a local, local social club. Then I ran a burger wagon, so I was always trying to make money. Sean was 15. He'd never seen £100. I remember him saying, have I got to share it? <laughs> the lads were packed off to Sweden for two months to cut their first album at the famous Sharon Studios in Stockholm. And under the wings of the late great Dennis Pop and Max Martin, Five recorded the first tracks for their debut album. The auditions had taken place in May, and by the end of that same year, the group were in the top ten with Slam Dunk the Funk. The song was also released in the US. Although it didn't do well in the charts, it was chosen as the NBA's new theme song. Wow, so they would have been heard by large chunks of America. Towards the close of 97, they embarked on the annual Smash It's tour across Britain, sharing the stage with the Backstreet Boys and Boyzone. Remarkably, within less than eight months, they secured the title of Best New Tour Group. Their momentum continued into 98 with the release of additional singles, including When the Lights Go Out, Got the Feeling, Everybody Get Up, and Until the Time Is Through. Their second single in the United States, Got the Feeling, enjoyed considerable success. Eventually, 
when the lights go out, not only entered the US top 10, but also achieved a gold record, prompting Five to embark on an intensive eight-day promotional tour for their upcoming album. Do you know the thing I would say is that every song just mentioned, I remember really very remember. clearly. Yeah, definitely. The band's popularity in the United States soared after an in-concert special on the Disney Channel, along with numerous appearances on various American TV shows. Notable events, including a show-stopping concert in Times Square and appearances on MTV, further solidified their presence. The highly anticipated album Five was released in June 98, swiftly claiming the number one spot on the UK charts. Its subsequent multi-platinum success around the world marked the arrival of Five into the music scene. The following months saw the band members take a well-deserved break, utilising their time to relax, write songs and contemplate the direction of their future. Despite the hiatus, they continued to receive accolades in Holland, Europe and the UK. The lads embarked on the creation of their third album and in December 2000 initiated their second major tour, performing at the largest arenas in the UK as a gesture of gratitude to their devoted home fans and to appease their UK label, BMG. It's amazing, isn't it? That's a lot of fame. They did really well at the beginning, like cracking America. Well, I think as we go through the story, we'll see that actually maybe it was a bit too much too soon. Yeah, yeah. A scheduled single release in December was postponed until summer 2001 as the group aimed to assert complete ownership of their next album, writing every song and dedicating more time to shaping their distinctive sound. They want a little bit more control now. Which which often happens in these groups, doesn't it? The start of 2001 saw Triumph at festival concerts in Rio de Janeiro and Caracas, marking successful performances for five. They returned home to finalise their third album, initially titled XL, but later changed to King Size for legal reasons, completing the process by May 2001. April and May of the same year featured headline appearances at MTV's Five Night Stand and a massive joint Israeli concert with Westlife. As they began filming the video for the first single from the album, Let's Dance, at the end of June, a sudden setback occurred when Sean was diagnosed with glandular fever. The video had to be completed without him, using a cardboard cutout in his place. See, I don't really remember the song, but I do remember remember there was a whole thing with a cardboard Cardboard cutout. Speculation arose regarding Sean's health, with rumours circulating that he'd left the band. He later revealed that he was actually struggling with anxiety and feeling overwhelmed. He said, we didn't really have any help. You know, so the other guys in the band said I should go and see a counsellor. Back then it was unheard of. So I went to see a counsellor, saw a psychologist, and they were the ones who signed me off and said he's not mentally healthy enough to come back to work. The rest of the group were told to tell anyone that asked that Sean had glandular fever. They knew he was having a breakdown and he'd left, but the label wanted to make sure that King Size was going to sell. In the midst of these challenges, Scott received news that his fiancée Kerry, pregnant with their first child, was facing complications, potentially resulting in a premature birth. Baby Brennan arrived on July the 11th, five weeks early. While Abs, Jay and Rich were promoting in Holland, Scott temporarily left to be with his new family. Five faced another hurdle as they commenced heavy promotion for Let's Dance, scheduling a full concert weekend at the end of August to coincide with the release of King Size. However, fate intervened once more. With Sean still unwell and Scott tending to his newborn son, Rich suffered torn tendons in his left foot during a performance in Belgium. Despite the challenges, Let's Dance was released on August the 13th and debuted at number one in the UK, largely due to the tireless promotion efforts of Abs, Jay and Rich. The humorous video received positive acclaim. With Scott and Sean absent and Rich injured, concerts did have to be cancelled and the promotion for King Size took a back seat. Five retreated from Public Eye once again to reassess their options for the future. 
After a month of extensive meetings and discussions, the band members reached the collective decision that they had come to the end of their journey. Having successfully navigated through significant battles and the release of King Size, they grew weary of the constant struggle with record companies for every small demand. The pressure of enduring months of ceaseless promotion for King Size and its subsequent singles also played a role. The challenges faced over the summer, including Sean's illness, Rich's injuries and Scott's premature baby, seemed to be additional signs. On September 27th, just one day before Scott's wedding to Kerry, Five surprised the audience by making a live appearance on MTV Select in London and officially declared that they were calling it a day. See, when you look back through this story, it was very, very fast-paced, wasn't it? From yeah. the moment that they formed from the audition to the point where they're finishing as a group with all of the successes that they've had in between. Yeah. It seems a much shorter but more intense ride than some of the other yeah, groups that we've covered. It does, and I don't necessarily know why. Well, we'll probably yeah. cover more of that as we go through the story. Uh, the decision had been a painful one, taking weeks to finalise, but Five had presented a united front as they shared the news with shock fans in attendance. Amid tears and sadness, Rich assured everyone that Five was concluding their journey as the best of friends, remaining like brothers. He also announced the band would be releasing a final single, Closer to Me, with a companion single, Rock the Party, on October the 22nd. MTV then premiered the compilation video of Closer to Me, featuring rare footage from five from the past four and a half years. Oh, so it was longer than three years. The single debuted on the UK charts at number four, despite no promotional efforts. Manager Chris Herbert reflected, It burned them out. In hindsight, I would never do that again. We took on too much too soon. I knew the band were exhausted, but they were also becoming hard work as well. I couldn't recognise whether it was pure exhaustion, whether they were suffering mentally, or whether they were just playing up. It was a combination of all those things. There was also a bit of bullying going on. Mm, and we have heard about these, haven't we? Yeah, we have. Stories of fights and bullying did emerge. Sean said there were frictions between the bands and between the band and the management, then the band and the label. Frictions everywhere. Scott said there would be rows that would break into fights and Jay would always be in the middle of that. There were points where a couple of us would be recording it and we'd go off and the other three would come in. So they couldn't even sit in a, a studio or stand in a studio together at one point. And again, you would you would blame the, the intenseness of it at the beginning for that, wouldn't you? They don't really didn't really get the chance to do it nice and slow to get to know each other. It was very sudden. Mm. And, and Richie added to the point about Jay by saying Jay was quite a domineering character and he wanted things done his way. And he was willing to get that point across in a physical way sometimes. So it does seem to be, when they talk about the bullying, some of it does seem to be stemming from Jay himself. Mm -hmm. Now, if I was trying to look sympathetically, I'd say Jay is 20. He's obviously, this is not the first time he's lived alone, so he's probably not just a year ahead or a couple of years ahead of the rest of them. In his mind, he's probably a bit further than that. Yeah. yeah. And he probably found them like annoying brats. Especially a 15-year-old. If you think a 20-year-old would not normally hang around with a 15-year-old, would it? No. But then, as the older person in the group, shouldn't you have taken more of a leadership role and a supporting role rather than kind of bullying them? But at the same time, we also talked about the fact that prior to joining the band, Jay was considering suicide. Yes. So he obviously had some issues himself. Yeah. So it sounds like just a cauldron of, of, mm. of poison at times in this yeah. house. Yeah. It wasn't just kept in-house. Simon Jones was a publicist for SNTV and CD UK, and he recalls, they definitely have fistfights down at CD UK. They had to be separated a couple of times and it would be threatening to kick off with other bands as well. They were punching each other. Stories would naturally occur, which we didn't give to the tabloids. 
I'm sure I gave that story about five having a fight to them because it mentioned SMTV and CD UK, so I've done my job. So as a publicist for the show, the fact that there was something like that mm. happening was good for SMTV and CD UK because the story would be a big part of the newspapers and it would continue to mention where the yeah. fire happened. So it was good for him. Richie remembers, the more exhausted the five of us got, the more we would fight. Punches and kicks were thrown. I remember walking past a pet shop and seeing this puppy. It was the runt of the pack and all the other dogs were biting and climbing over it. I saw myself, so I walked in and said, how much is that dog? And I bought it there and then. So did he say, how much is that doggy in the window? Yeah. The one with the waggly yeah. tail? Scott tried to leave the group after a fight with Jay. He told the management team there was something not right with him and he wanted out. They said he couldn't leave, which resulted in him pinning one of the management team up against the wall with Simon Cowell trying to fight him off. On September 2006, an announcement surfaced on Fire's official MySpace page. MySpace, wow, how 90s. <laughs> revealing plans for a press conference scheduled for September 27th. And during the press conference, it was confirmed that four out of the five original members would be reuniting. Sean Conlon had a separate deal with Sony that he wanted to honour. The band embarked on recording new material for their anticipated fourth studio album, collaborating with Guy Chambers, Anders Bag, and deep French DJs Track Invaders. A tour for 2007 was also part of the plan. Half of five albums had been completed by the end of that January, and they were actively seeking a record label under the guidance of their new manager, Richard Beck. Beck also secured an MTV documentary series titled Five The Revive, the album was slated for release within the upcoming months. However, eight months after their reunion and being unable to secure a lucrative record deal, Five announced through their website that they decided to abandon the pursuit of their comeback. In 2012, Sean Conlon reconnected with his former bandmates to explore the possibility of a second reunion. Initially, Jay expressed willingness to participate in the reunion, but the other members opted to continue as a four-piece. This decision was influenced by the psychological challenges they had experienced in the past with Brown, particularly affecting Sean and Scott. The official announcement of their return was made on the October 18th. In 2013, the group participated in the big reunion, where they candidly discussed their shared experiences and challenges they faced as a band. I remember this so well. Because yeah, I think good. we love that programme. It yeah. was brilliant. And it was actually a lot of the talking about the past that we enjoyed most about it. It wasn't really about seeing them perform or anything like that. It was about talking about what it was like back in the 90s yeah. and things like that. So Jay made an appearance on the big reunion on tour in September 2013 to refute the accusations made by his bandmates. While acknowledging that his behaviour might have been perceived as loud and overbearing, he denied allegations of bullying Sean. During a conversation with the abs over drinks, Jay expressed excitement for the boys' reunion, but clarified that he preferred not to get involved due to his desire for privacy. And Scott seemed to confirm Jay's version of events in terms of it being his choice not to join up with the band rather than them having not allowed him to. Mm -hmm. Scott said, for his own reasons, Jay didn't want to rejoin the group and I've got nothing against him. Before the big reunion, we went for a pint and I said, I'm bigger than you now. I'm not the little boy you bullied before. We had a really open, good chat as men, and I respect his decision to step away. Interesting that Scott felt the need to say that to him. Yeah, that is interesting. Then after months of speculation, Abs eventually announced that he had left the group via Twitter uh, in August 2014 without telling the other guys beforehand. Just so a mess, isn't it? It, 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 it just seems a mess the whole way through. In an interview a few days before the announcement, he revealed that he only agreed to reunite with Five because of his financial issues that he had at the time. And he was not happy singing teen songs again. Scott said, I was sad he couldn't pick up the phone and tell me. 
we haven't spoken since. In February 2016, Five unveiled their first release as a trio, the compilation Keep On Moving, The Best of Five. In April 2019, a group, the group announced a UK tour in The Boys Are Back, and for 2020 featuring 911, Damage and A1 as part of the lineup. Scott clarified that there was no possibility of the band's original full lineup reuniting. And that's obvious, isn't it? You can yeah. understand why. Well, in an interview at the time, he said it wouldn't be down to us to reach out to Jay and Amps. They made it very clear they didn't want to be in the bands. And I think that's right. They yeah. don't want to be they in the bands. So 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 yeah. Just carry on. Unfortunately, the tour faced disruptions due to the COVID-19 pandemic, leading to rescheduled shows for 2021. The trio... Do continue to perform today, but here's a quick rundown on what else everyone's been up to. So Scott presents the Drive Time show on Radio Essex. The day after Five split up, Scott got married and the rest of the group all attended. He has four kids and the family currently live in Pitsy in Essex. Richie emigrated to Australia after the group split. He married Australian model and DJ Emily Scott and split four months later. Their relationship only became public knowledge when Emily alleged that Richie attacked her with a glass and she was left with a scar above her left eye. However, the case was dismissed in 2009 and never was acquitted. He opened a restaurant before selling it and then returning to the UK. Richie started dating Atomic Kitten singer Natasha Hamilton in 2013. They met on the reunion, didn't they? Oh, was it the reunion or Big Brother? I thought it was on the reunion. Was it? I thought it was Big Brother. Ah, uh, maybe it's a big brother. Well, I can't I And they had a child together before splitting in March 2016. Sean seemed to have struggled quite a lot during the days of the band, but he's now married to a woman who prefers to remain anonymous, and they have a daughter together. He actually wrote a song for Boyzone's brother album called Let Your Wall Fall ah, Down. Ah, yes. Abs went solo after the group split, but was dropped by his solo artist music label in 2003 following his life spiralling out of control due to partying, drinking and drug use before he was declared bankrupt. He's done a, a bunch of reality TV gigs, including being a runner-up in Celebrity Big Brother. In 2015, he starred in a BBC Two documentary series, Country Strife, Abs on a Farm. And while single, he then appeared on Celebs Go Dating in 2022. Jay is no longer interested in the spotlight. He was in a relationship with Mel C from the Spice Girls, and she says although they don't speak very often, he is still a friend. Years later, Brown spoke to ITV saying he was struggling mentally before, during and after his time in the band. He said, when I was 19 or 20, leading up to when I got into Fiverr, I was actually in a really desperate way, psychologically. Being in that band just wouldn't work for me. I actually couldn't do that now. I'd be lying to myself and lying to other people if I tried to put myself on stage, he said in 2013. Ever since, Brown has stayed away from the public eye, saying he's now keen on a much quieter life. And that, Beth, is the story of five. Wow. It feels like a whirlwind. It does, it does. I feel like it's been a whirlwind episode. Yeah. Well. So much happening, so many dates, so many jumps. Reunions here, fights there, just full we, on. We exhausted. We, exhausted just... We sort of jumped from an audition to them living together, mm. to them going and recording an album, to getting some notoriety in, in America even, yes. uh, let alone the success they had in the UK, yeah. to splitting up, to almost immediately getting back together again, and then five becoming four, becoming three. I know. Um, it, it, it feels like it was just a turbulent story. Yeah. From what, what started so quick and great and all of them being at their parts in their lives to then almost like a car crash. Mm. It was like they were almost being cashed out from day one. Yeah. And, I mean, the manager did admit that, mm. that he wouldn't do it again this day. But these are people's lives, you know. And it's like looking back, and I, I definitely see it differently being parents. 
Sean being only 15. That's a year older than our daughter. Yeah. Could you imagine her going and living with a group of girls that were older than that? Yeah. That's horrific thinking about that. But they've come out of it the other way. And obviously Sean, still interested in the music, writing songs and everything. That's really nice. He's come out of it well. Abs has obviously, he's having his ups and downs. I think if we look at it, to me, you've got to say the winner is, is Scott. He's kind of really quite popular. Yeah. He's got his radio show. So, he yes. comes across as Four a really kids, good bloke, private. a good family man and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think Jay, interesting. Can you look past the bullying? Maybe you should if you look at some of the psychological issues he suffered from. It wasn't him trying to be a bully. It was maybe he was in a depressed state and, and that was the ramifications of that state. Mm. So some sympathy, but then you'd have to say fair play to him for not putting himself back in that state. He knows what's good for him and what's not. And yeah, being part of yeah. that group isn't. Yeah. And that lifestyle isn't. So he stayed away. You've mentioned Sean already. Abs, he seems to have had a lot of downs, the party and the drinking and stuff. I did think he went sober then after a while. I don't know if he's still sober now, but he certainly mm. certainly did do that. But he always felt against the kind of pop thing. He, yeah, he saw himself as yeah. more of a, a rapper, I suppose. Yeah, he did his um, songs, didn't he? And Richie, I don't know, Richie always felt like a bit of a pretender in the group to me. Yeah, a bit fake, you mean? I think so. Mm. I think he always felt like he was trying to be something that he wasn't. And now when you look at him now, he looks like what he is. He is. Yeah, but yeah, in the group, he always felt to me like he was trying to be... I think when you looked at Try. five, Richie was always the one you'd look at and think... Mm. Pretty boy, sort of. Yeah. He's not a bad boy. Didn't, didn't really mm. fit. I, I don't really think any of them are particularly... Bad boy. No, I think Jay, maybe. He yeah. probably had his, his moments. Abs, I suppose, yeah. thinking about yeah, it. but not the other three. Well... Maybe I mean, Scott a bit more. Yeah, we time. don't know what happened in their life and what constitutes a bad boy anyway. Do you know, like, none of them had been to prison, so is that does that make yeah. them bad boys or not? I don't know. It's interesting, though. It's good to reminisce. I think, like you say, the songs that we mentioned at the beginning, we all remember them. We do. And there might be some other boy bands where songs, we don't know all of them. But I suppose it was actually a short time. For a lot of songs, lot of wasn't songs it? And when you think, there are a lot, yeah. like, quite yeah. bouncy songs mm. that, you know, sometimes we'll listen to hard radio. And yeah. if a five song comes on, I have to say, I don't turn it off. No, you do sing to it, yeah. All right, you took it a bit further there. I said I don't tell it off and then you just yeah, trashed me. <laughs> it's the behind the scenes that fascinates me. Because, the fist fights. Yeah, but, and also the management. I know we've touched on it before when, um, you know, it's the, the mental health help was just not there for these young people. That they deliberately knew they were targeting so-called yeah, bad boys yeah. and brought them in without any kind of support to kind of, shall I say, reform? Is that too strong that's a word? That's what they were looking for, weren't they? wanted a bit of edge they wanted the drama it's interesting you say that because do you know when we go back to the start and they talk about the neighbours from hell yeah, and stuff like that yeah. I wonder if the the management group put that out there yeah. as part of that well we've got this group coming we want them to be edgy and bad and, and that well, kind of thing let's get yeah. into the newspapers that they're the neighbours from hell let's get yeah. other people around here to start talking about all the trouble they're causing yeah, and yeah. the wild nights and stuff yeah. like that because if you remember the description they put in right at the start, boys are all bringing flowers. Yeah. Five were oh. meant to yeah. do you on the, yeah. the back alley. of an alley. Yeah, yeah. That is exactly what they were going for, and I guess they got yeah. what they what yeah. they were seeking. Got what they wanted, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. Well, thank you, Beth. Uh, that was a really uh, interesting episode. You can have a rest now, can't I can you? have a rest, and we're away next weekend, so fingers crossed I'm all healthy then. 
but we'll we'll certainly continue uh, recording after that. But we hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next week, talk, talk to, to the, the hand. hand.